Welcome to the New Testament Review. Where every week we summarize and discuss a classic piece of New Testament scholarship. I'm Ian Mills. And I'm Laura Robinson. And we're both PhD students in New Testament studies at Duke University. Today we're going to be discussing Christer Stendhal's essay, The Apostle Paul and the Introspective Conscious of the West. Ian, what is this essay about? So Christer Stendhal is arguing against something called the Lutheran interpretation or the Lutheran reading of Judaism and law and Paul, and is arguing that Paul, instead of being plagued by guilt and sin, both as a Jew and as a Christian or whatever we call him post-commission, that he was someone with a robust conscience who is confident in his own performance as a Jew and life as a Christian. So in order to understand this essay, it's really important to contextualize what Stendhal is responding to and what was happening in Paul's scholarship at the time. So let's go over quickly what the Lutheran position Mm -hmm. on Paul is. For the record, the Lutheran interpretation is a now conventional way of referring to a certain way of reading Paul, but it's worth noting that Stendhal was himself a Lutheran minister, and of course, not all Lutherans today read Paul this way. The Lutheran reading of Paul is essentially the assumption that Paul's conversion experience and the process of him becoming a Christian was essentially analogous to Luther's conversion to the justification by faith reading Mm -hmm. of Paul. So Luther's story, famously, is that Luke was a German monk who was plagued by a sense of his own inadequacy as a Christian. He was constantly confessing. He was constantly anxious that he was not righteous enough, that he was not doing enough to be a good godly person. Well, Reading a passage of on Paul in uh, in faith and righteousness, he came to the conclusion that righteousness was not something that people achieve. It's something that is given to them by God, even though we struggle with sin, um, which is where we get the formulation simultaneously justified and a sinner. The Lutheran understanding of Paul is that Paul basically went through this same process, that he was a Pharisee who was obsessed with uh, the legal requirements of Torah, who was constantly striving to achieve righteousness, but was also very aware of his own limitations. And when he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus came to realize that uh, Christ had already paid the debt and done the work for us, and therefore we could rest assured that God had given us his righteousness through Christ. Absolutely. The law for Luther was not the distinctive requirements and practices of the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants, but morality in the abstract. And the problem for Jews from Luther's perspective is that no human can live up to the law of God. No human can be moral enough to earn their salvation. And that's even true of Christians for Luther, right? So Luther himself walks through life with a this, the, yeah, this plagued conscience. And Stendhal's going to respond to that. One issue with this, before we get into Stendhal's actual critique of this as a reading of Paul, if Luther has Paul right, then Paul is probably willfully misrepresenting what Judaism is and was. E.P. Sanders is really the person to bring this out, that Judaism has built within it a system for repentance and purification. It is not this petty-fogging religion in which people walk around with guilt trying to earn their salvation. Um, It is rather a religion of grace. Right. God called them out of Egypt before they were given the law of Moses. And if I can hop in here, there's also never any sense in the Bible or Second Temple Jewish literature or rabbinic literature that Jewish people thought of the law as an as an impossible demand. There's no sense that the law is burdensome. Mm-hmm. There's no sense that the law is overly exacting or inconsequential and the 
product of this petty tyrant god. It's very much that the law is a blessing and it's a Absolutely. good thing and people like to fulfill it. It's what God made them to do. Right. So if Paul really did present Judaism as this overly exacting, exhausting, tiresome, joyless process of fulfilling the, com- the impossible commandments of God, if that's the way Paul presented it, then Paul really misrepresented Judaism. Absolutely. And do we want to say that about Paul? Mm-hmm, sure. <laughs> Okay, so people have attacked this Lutheran reading of Paul. Is like maybe this isn't the best way to understand Paul um, from a number of different ways. There's the question of is Judaism legalistic or did Jews resent Torah? The way that Christer Stendel particularly attacks it is the question of mm-hmm. internal moral guilt. Yeah. Did Paul have a sense? Uh, as a Jew, or and, and then subsequently as a Christian, that he was irredeemably sinful and could not fulfill the commandments of God. Is Absolutely. that a thing Paul believed about himself? And so, Stendhal's going to argue, obviously, no, that Paul was someone with a robust conscience. And I think the place to start is with Paul's description, writing as a Christian, about his time as, as a Jew. And I think the, the key passage here is Philippians 3. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Yeah, that's not really a guy who's dying of guilt mm. in his ability <laughs> to, to fulfill Torah. He sounds, he sounds pretty darn confident, actually. Absolutely. And I think this really nicely encapsulates how Paul sees Judaism and Christianity interacting. Jews aren't people failing to live up to their own standards. But he still thinks, in verse 7, that what they're living up to isn't enough to save them. And this is the argument, I think, of Romans 5, where he came to save us while we were yet sinners. It's not the idea that Jews were plagued with their own sin, but rather that Judaism wasn't able to save them, and now Christ can. There's never any indication when Paul talks about himself as a law fulfiller that he wasn't doing it well. Right. Every time he invokes his every time he invokes his experience of the law, it's as an indication that he was such a great Jew. He was doing such a great job as a Pharisee. And that's the part of his life that he's put behind him now that he has discovered Christ. It's not this sense of guilt or his failure. And now he is not failing with Jesus. It's that he was outstanding as a Pharisee. But even that accomplishment doesn't matter in light of his new service as the apostle to the Gentiles and the power of the Spirit. For Stendhal, it's really important that Romans and Galatians are not debates about the current human condition. These are debates between groups of Christians, Jewish and Gentile Christians, who are having conflicts over how to live, how to eat dinner. (laughs) Um, He only raises issues of justification and law observance in these contexts. These things don't appear in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. These things don't appear hardly at all in the Corinthian epistles. Mm -hmm. Rather, these have a specific context and the argument in Romans and Galatians against the law is not that no one can keep it so much as it is that the Jews aren't keeping it. When he raises these examples of people robbing temples and defrauding widows, it's not that every Jew is walking around with having defrauded a widow on their conscience or having plundered a temple recently. Rather, Israel as a collective aren't better off than Gentiles as a collective who have recently been beaten down in Romans 1. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Another thing that's really important to talk about with the law is this thing that Luther called the second purpose of the law. That part of the reason why God gave us the law was this was to give us the sense that we needed a savior, that the law is just utterly impossible to fulfill. And then when we look at it, we are driven to the limits of our self-righteousness and we realize that we cannot possibly fulfill the demands that God has for us and it makes us look for for Christ. The the major justification Luther saw for understanding the law in this way is in Galatians 3, mm-hmm. when the law is described as our tutor unto Christ, that the law breaks us down and reveals our own inadequacy and humbles our attempts at self-justification until we realize we need a savior and then we turn to Jesus who paid our debt. The problem is that's actually not a great way to understand the Greek in that passage. <laughs> and the way that Stendhal has uh, put it, which is, I think, far more ad- adequate, is Again, this passage is not about self-righteousness and self-justification. This passage is about how Jews and Gentiles uh, relate to God and that the Jews have had this had this this law going on for so long. And mm-hmm. why is it now that Gentile Christians don't have to practice it anymore? And the reason why is that the the law is our custodian until Christ, that God gave the law to Jews to reveal God's will to them and to keep them um, keep them within the covenant and to help them understand who God was and to live in harmony with him until the time that the Messiah came. So since the the law was this caretaker who oversaw the Jewish people until the Messiah arrived, the Messiah is here now. We don't need the law anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the major distinction. It's not that the law has this you know profound psychological effect that breaks down a human self-righteousness. It is mm-hmm. a specific tool for an ethnic group that has very that has very strict temporal boundaries. It's it's not not needed when the Messiah comes. Yep. One point Stendhal raises to sort of encapsulate our discussion of the law in Judaism and its relationship to Paul's Christianity or whatever we want to call that, is he points out that the term forgiveness never actually appears in the seven authentic letters of mm-hmm. Paul. That the switch from Judaism to Christianity is for Paul not one of being sin-plagued and now coming into forgiveness as it was for Luther and even Augustine, but rather, I I guess uh, Stendhal doesn't really present what the alternative is, but he points out that forgiveness is by no means the governing metaphor. So let's move on to the question of Paul as a Christian, which in the Lutheran understanding, a Christian is... Simul Justus et peccator. Thank you, Ian. Ian is the Latin speaker here. So um, The way Luther understood the Christian experience was that righteousness is a God... a gift that God imputes to you, even though you continue to be a Christians continue to be valuable and subject to sin, they are justified in God by the grace of righteousness, the gift of righteousness he gives to us. So 2 Corinthians 5.10 is a great place to start looking at how Paul conceives of his own Christian life. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. So clearly Paul here is um, is confident in his own performance. He knows that what he is is known to God, and that's a good thing. And he's trying to... Uh, 
sell himself also to the Corinthians, um, trying to persuade them also that he is what he knows he is. Yeah. Uh, so this isn't a person who sees himself as having nothing to offer from the works of his life when he comes to the judgment seat of God, but rather someone who knows he has... Paul likes his odds. Yeah, basically. exactly. He yep. likes his odds at the judgment seat. So a similar thing appears in 2 Corinthians 1.12, yeah. for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. Uh, there is a textual variant there that the, the Alexandrian reading is holiness, the Western reading is simplicity. Either way, the point is, Paul thinks his own conscience is something which, which he can boast in. He believes he has behaved with holiness or simplicity, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Again, Paul's conscience is doing fine. Yep. He's, he is not worried about himself. Uh, and then there's a final example that uh, Stendhal brings up, and we're not totally sure about this one. He cites from Acts. Right. And uh, Acts as a source for Paul's life is... Uh, it, Tricky. It, it, yeah, it's a toss-up of a question. Um, you know, it, It's well known that the, the general practice of a biographer in the ancient world would be to write speeches mm -hmm. for the figure they are, they, they are writing the biography about. And Acts is no exception. Uh, we don't think that Luke actually had access to detailed transcripts of the speeches Paul actually gave at a number of key, key moments. Uh, these are things that Luke would have put in Paul's mouth, you know, what he, uh, an approximation of what Paul should have said at that time. But it's worth noting that Paul is remembered by the author of Acts as, we're talking about chapter 23, verse 1 here, as someone who has lived so I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And it's foreign to the theology of Acts that Paul was continuously was continuously struggling with sin, but was justified by the grace of Christ alone. That he it, he is remembered as being this morally upright figure who's yep. doing a great job. Laura, what would you say about First Timothy one fifteen? What Schnendel has brought up is the possibility that there are witnesses in the Deuteropauline letters that actually do start to attest to this idea of the, the troubled conscience of a Christian. And one great example of this would be 1 Timothy 1.15. Uh, 1.15 reads, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Right. Stendhal objects that this is referring in context to Paul's life as a persecutor of Christians. Right. So even this doesn't clearly support the Lutheran reading of Paul yeah. as someone who is plagued by his conscience. Right. The, the long story short, most most passages that have been marshaled to suggest that Paul had an internal sense of guilt that he worked out through his faith in Christ. Most of these can be shown to actually not be relevant to this topic at all. And actually, you can find a lot of references in Paul's letters that show the opposite, that Paul really didn't struggle with guilt, and he was pretty confident in his own moral behavior. Now, if you're screaming at your iPhone, why haven't they talked about Romans 7 yet? Uh, uh -huh. It's for good reason. Uh, this is this is the passage probably most often cited as illustrative of the troubled, introspective conscience of Augustine and Luther. Mm -hmm. So, just to refresh your memory. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but the I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin dwelling within me. For I know nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I do. 
Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self. But I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive of the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the Lutheran Augustinian tradition, this has been read as Paul recognizing his inability to do what is right. Paul knows what's good, but can't live up to it. So he sees himself as a person who stands before the law guilty. What's the problem with that? Well, the problem with this is that in in context, Paul is not making a grand sweeping statement on the human condition and right. the struggle of right and wrong impulses in every person. This is actually kind of an aside in the book of Romans. If you read the if you read the entire book as a sustained argument, uh, just before this, Paul has been talking about how humanity's problem is the fact that we are enslaved to these external forces that are also within us. Uh, the you know the power of sin and the power of death that exists in the world and that we need deliverance from. In the immediately preceding chapter, Paul is arguing that we've been liberated from the law, that the law was this, is something which people are bound to, but we are released from as Christians. Um, And so he opens up this discussion in Romans 7 by saying, is the law sin? Yeah. Is it, is it a bad thing? He's been saying a lot of negative things about law, and a possible objection you could make at this point is, therefore, is the law a bad thing? Right. And what Paul wants to say in this passage is no. Right. Um, it's not about, this passage is not, primar- not primarily about internal struggles with good and evil. It's about the fundamental character of the law. Right. So it actually makes the most sense to read this passage as something of an aside, that we intrinsically know that the law has to be good because we, we instinctively want to do the right thing. Right. So a strategy for for acquitting the law is saying that it aligns with our innermost self. Verse 22, for I delight in the law in my innermost self. So he makes an appeal to our own will um, and says this by its nature aligns with the law. And so we know that the law is a good thing. And in spite of that, we fail at keeping it because of this Mm -hmm. other force, uh, Sarks, the flesh. The passage ultimately depends on us recognizing that we we like the law and that we align with the law and that we want to follow the law. So Romans 7 is, it's not quite the slam dunk case for the tortured conscience of Paul that it has commonly been made out to be. Mm-hmm. That's not the function of the passage. The passage is primarily about what the, whether or not the law is a good thing. And Paul comes down to the conclusion that it absolutely is a good thing. So that that does it for Stendhal, I think. I think that is a fair summary of his his argument and the attendant issues on the new perspective of Paul. And hopefully we won't read anything more on Paul for a while. (laughs) I think we're going to have to do a lot of shows on uh, issues of atonement, soteriology, Jews and Gentiles. These are such big issues in Paul. That would make Laura very happy. It would make me very Uh, happy. Uh, Ian's not really (laughs) a Paul guy. (laughs) We'll have to balance that out with source critical and text critical. You can do Uh, that show by yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Thanks to Mitch and Luke and all the guys from Carnegie for letting us use their song Coming Home in the intro and outro music of the podcast. You should check them out. Hope
please leave us a review, either commensurate with the quality of your listening experience or exercising the sort of grace of which you hope to be the recipient. You can write to us at newtestamentreview at gmail.com or find us at Twitter at newt, N-E-W-T, review.